Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. I'm your host, Andre, and I am here with Owen and Vansh. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing quite good. Yeah, it's, it's really nice to be back. Um, sunshine double is over. Uh, things are getting busy, busy with school, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved Miami, you know, seeing uh, Igor Sviantek and Carlos Alcaraz continue to win. And uh, yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've said before that I think the sunshine double is kind of unnecessary, so I'm excited for clay season, but Miami was great and excited to recap it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, lots of happened really in uh, the sunshine double, really. We obviously covered a bit of a, well, the entirety of Indian Wells before. So we're going to be focusing obviously on Miami. I was really scared that this year's Miami was going to end up being a lot like um, last year's because there was so many retirements and obviously Nadal had to pull out. Djokovic didn't make it and uh, players are just like dropping, but it ended up being really good surprises in the men's tour. Obviously a lot of withdrawals in the women's side. Um, they pretty much filled out the entire area on the PDF that you get like when you download the uh, the draw so that was surprising and kind of sad to see but um yeah i was really surprised and excited with the results and we can start obviously with the um osaka and shiantek in the final and i guess it's good for two reasons one because osaka is finally playing well again and she seems very excited about it which is even better she's not just she seems to be just like happy to be there even though she's losing and that was not the place that she, where she was last year. If you remember the U S open, she quoted that um, she feels like she felt like win was a necessity and it was a relief when she won and she felt extremely frustrated and terrible when she lost. So now it's different ball game, which is great. And we have on the other side, Triantec who um, is now the new world number one and has won the first three WT thousand, 1000 of the year. Um, that's probably for the first time ever that this happens. And um, unless I'm wrong, well, she probably would know that. But <laughs> No, this is the first time ever. Yeah, that yeah exactly. And which also is really cool because Barty, Barty just retired. But then Shriantek is like, okay, now I'm going to dominate, <laughs> which is amazing. So we're not really in a lack of a leadership in the WTA rankings, which is what yeah. a lot of people were um, yeah. afraid of. Yeah, I think we're lucky that those two events coincided so exactly because I think without Barty, we were kind of wondering like who's going to take the top now. And Fiontech's ascension kind of coincided with that exactly. So we got this very emphatic rise to the top. Um, and now we have a, a new world number one who's, I mean, I, I'm not, do you think her lead now is maybe as big as Barty's? Um, Barty's it's was? Close. I have to check, close. but it, yeah, it's, it feels like she's it's a sizable in a lead. very similar position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was my main takeaway too. Like, you know, we, we came out of the, we did the Ash Party podcast, you know, and all of us were, were kind of down, you know, we were like, you know, rivalries, we, we, we hope to see them. And 
you know, maybe I remember you even asked me the question, Owen, like, who is, you know, do you think Ida is going to really take over or is this going right, to be a yeah. little bit more back and forth passing of the baton? And, and Iga, Iga really, really took it to the next level because she only had to win one match to win, to get the number one ranking. That was in the first round against Victoria Golubic. And the way she plays in these big matches, like just anything, some, anytime something is on the line, she just opens up her bakery factory and just destroys these opponents. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's next level stuff, like in, in finals and in, in some of the biggest matches. And like right now, like you, you have to say, like she is absolutely the dominant number one. And it, it just shows like how, how quickly things change in this, in this sport. You know, we came out of Australia the entire January and Barty was on an 11 match winning streak. And we were saying, who the heck is going to beat Barty? How, how, <laughs> how are these players going to figure out her slice? How are they going to deal with her serve, her forehand and all of these things? How it feels like the rest of the WTA was like two years behind. And now, and then now we come out of Miami thinking like the clay hasn't even started. And Triantec has built this amazing, massive lead. She's become, she's completed the sunshine double. She's only the fourth player in history to do that. She's, I think only before her was like Graf Kleisters in 2005. I think Graf did it twice. And then you had Azarenka in 2016 and then her. And no one's ever mm-hmm. won the first three 1000s. And now mm-hmm. she's on a 17 match winning streak. And, you know, obviously she's won her last 20 games. And there's so many, so many stats, yeah. you know, I could, I could, yeah. I could do a whole podcast on just yeah. the stats, but I, I won't do that. But you should do it as a bonus <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what? It's, it's really sad that um, we see all of this. And obviously, Shantak is doing amazing. But then it's not like everybody figured out how to play Barty. She just kind of like said, like, nobody's going to figure me out anymore. So, like, <laughs> Right, it's, I know, but in a, in a way, it's just sad because that was this amazing rivalry that was yeah right there in the making. It was like the new Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer type of thing. Like in terms of hype, I know that Owens like disagrees with me because he, <laughs> Djokovic Nadal is a much better rivalry in terms of tennis quality. <laughs> That's what he's thinking right now. <laughs> but no, uh, but it, I mean, it, it would have been great. Um, the the dominant of uh, the nom- dominance of the tour would have been amazing with those two back yeah. and forth. But obviously, like Barrier is already retired. This bull, this ship has already sailed. So yeah, I, I mean, I think all the same. Um, Sviantek may not need any help right now i mean i was something i was just thinking was um Mm. i'm kind of struck by the similar way that she won the indian wells final and the miami final um because i think in the first set of each of those matches she played very well um but she wasn't at her best like i remember in indian wells she and sakari were kind of feeling each other out i think she got broken in her first two service games but then pulled out the set at the end and then really opened up in the second and just destroyed sakari and against osaka i think all around, she was better than she was in Indian Wells. But I think she was landing like less than half of her first serves um, for that first set. And yet she didn't even face a break point. And then it was kind of the same thing, like pulled it out 6-4. And then it's just off to the races in the second set. She bageled Osaka on a hard court. And Osaka, with this amazing run to the final, was kind of getting some people saying, is she still the best in the world on hard court? And I think there was a decent argument for that. I actually thought she was going to be able to rush Shviantek. And I thought Osaka was going to win that final, but Sviantec defended Osaka's weight of shot and pace from the baseline so well as she returned better. Um, she kicked up her second serve high and made it tough to attack. It was a really complete performance. Um, just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I came into that final thinking, I mean, obviously everyone was really excited. I was really excited as well, not just about the the match, because I did kind of have a feeling, honestly, that the match was, wasn't going to be as good as it was you know, hyped out to be just because because Osaka is still kind of on that comeback trail. And she won all of her matches relatively comfortably, 
you know, up until that point. It's again, great to see her bounce back. And especially after what happened in Indian Wells with the heckling incident to recover from that really quickly and then play this kind of level. I mean, she beat Angelique Kerber like two and three. And that was one of some of the most impressive, that was the, the best match she had played, you know, since Australia. Yeah, that was so a demolition. I watched that. Yeah. She was, it was perfect. Yeah. And then the way she was able to dispatch Belinda Bencic in three mm-hmm. sets, because Bencic obviously has the three zero head to head against her. And, you know, she, Bencic really likes playing Osaka because she, she can, she really likes the power that Osaka brings that she can redirect all the pace and mm-hmm. just use, use all of her pace against her. And those shots are coming back earlier and faster than Osaka even has time to get ready for. Yeah. And so, you know, Belinda kind of likes that match. And again, she found herself like break points down. And then just like she's done in the four majors that she's won, she's, you know, come up clutch in a game where in a third set, she's down break points and then found a way to win, you know, did that against Muguruza in the, in the last major that she won and done that pretty much at some point in all of her four majors. So it was nice to see kind of that, that level and just fulfillment back in her game. But I did kind of have a feeling that if Shiontek wins the first set in the Miami final, I just had a yeah. feeling she was gonna, just going to run away with it because, because um, obviously Osaka was writing, you know, the confidence of this week, but Iga Shiontek's streak just spans that far longer. And you just knew that if it ever got in the most tight situations, what, what I love, what it, what's so amazing about the streak, honestly, is that for me, I can honestly kind of pinpoint one or two matches where just something changed and Shiontek is a different player now. Like, oh, and you mentioned, you know, Osaka being able to rush Shiontek. It just wasn't able to happen because yeah. Shriantek is like, you know, normally I think the Shriantek of last year would have just, you know, hung a little bit back behind the baseline and kind of absorbed all the pace and, you know, used her defense, which is just absolutely amazing the way she can cover the court um, off both wings and the athleticism and the sliding that she has and the flexibility and range of motion. But mm-hmm. she's actually turning attack on attack now and taking the ball yeah. early herself and stepping in and playing the kind of brand of tennis. Like I remember she played Arena Sabalenka in Doha. And she beat her two and three. And that result was just, you know, because everyone was expecting, oh, you know, Sabalenka, she hits the ball so hard. She's going to rush Fiontech. You know, they played last year at the WTA finals. Yeah, Sabalenka won and all of this. And that was the match where something just flipped. And she decided, okay, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to take my game to the next level here. And I'm just going to, I'm going to go after every single forehand and actually change direction earlier and uh, flatten out the shots more. And she's doing that so well now. It's like when you're that good defensively and offensively, you just don't lose your games. You don't lose any games. And you think her serve, you know, could be a weakness, like her second serve, but it's really not anymore. Yeah. Like, because the way she backs, the way she backs that shot up, I mean, she won 72% of her second serve points against Naomi Osaka. And Naomi Osaka was having to, you know, stand really far in inside the court and just crouch and cover the service box at, at some point. And it was just, yeah. I mean, not many players can make Osaka look that one dimensional, that, Shiontek was able to do and it was just it was just crazy because I think Osaka obviously has the power to rush her opponents but it's more of a sort of linear pace yeah. and I think Shiontek is able to combat that really well actually which is yeah. which is which bodes well now because I, I'd love to see I think Osaka can come out of this match feeling like okay you know I've got my work cut out for me and now she knows exactly where her you know level is kind of at yeah mm-hmm. I do agree with that like a lot like when I was um tweeting from the tens and bagels account like on twitter i was like mostly just seeing that like it definitely felt like osaka was really trying to figure out like what her level is at and i was worried like maybe she felt like a little tired from uh the benchich match which was pretty titanic honestly like as you were saying like benchich was like really um taking the ball really early and it did feel like it was a very big struggle for them to just like hit the ball as early as they can and 
yeah. it was just like back and forth, like really, really powerful. And maybe she was, and maybe she was just rusty. And also maybe there's also the fact that like Fiontech just was just in another level at that day. And uh, if maybe yeah. Osaka would need to be at her 1000% best to like be competitive in that match, which was just not the case. Like Fiontech was just completely better, the better player. But on the other hand, like Fiontech, as I said, like she was just phenomenal, like in that match, like the forehand didn't have any of the troubles that like, seemed like we were used to like that you could be rushing it or you could uh, just put a little bit lower on the slice which it's not necessarily like that um osaka did at any point but um it's not like she was working with plenty of spin and bounce or anything like that but the i think that what impressed me the most were two things one well pretty much the entire counter punching game like sliding around and just like taking the ball or just like slapping it back cross court there was a this one shot that Osaka just like really nailed this one forehand like to her for to uh cross court and then Fiontech just kind of like ran over it and just kind of hit in a pretty defensively position just hit a cross court like no chance for Osaka she was just like a watch the ball sail by because it was just too good and I was just watching that I was like there is nothing that this woman can't do anymore you know yeah uh, forehand yeah. is amazing the sliding backhand on this defensive side is Djokovic and so it's yeah yeah, yeah it's pretty I, insane I was thinking back to the Australian Open when she had that weird long kind of low quality match against Kenefi um where yeah. she kind of had to win with maybe not even a B level like a C level and everyone was saying at the time like this is such a big building block for her because if she can win when not playing her best then it's going to be a lot easier for her to get to that next level but I think the hilarious thing is like since then she hasn't even had to do that. I mean, she went after she lost to Collins in the semis, like she's been at an A level all the time. Um, like, well, yeah, apart part. from her first three matches at Indian Wells, where she yeah, did lose the first set, that's and true. then, but you're right, since the you know, since the first set she won against Halep, you're right, yeah, like, like been, she's she's been smooth so sailing. Good. Um, and it's like she'll have these stretches where like she's not totally at her best, but she's still so much better than. The opponent that she sails anyway um and yeah i think um i think on osaka's part maybe the thing i failed to consider going into the final was how big a step up in competition Fiontech was going to be and i think um i think that does go both ways but i think when you have the kind of momentum that Fiontech had with that massive winning streak it doesn't really matter who you play you're going to be full of confidence and osaka didn't really have recent practice against an opponent of that caliber so i think she may have been shocked a little bit like early on she was hitting all these aces, but then when her serve started to come back, it was, it was all Sviantec at that point. And yeah, I mean, I, it's going to take a lot for someone to beat her because like Andre was saying, there's, there's nothing she can't do her offensive offensively and defensively. She's all world. Uh, Caleb Pereira wrote a cool thing on this for popcorn tennis. Um, like she's so dangerous um, from all areas of the court. Like you were saying, Bonds, like, People like the second serve can it get better? Yeah, but like doesn't have to. Not really. Like she's, yeah, she's now a dominant number one. Um, so like seventy two percent on second serve against Osaka is practically unheard of. Um, like she can afford to do much worse than that and still be doing very well. So yeah, that's all big things for her right now. Yeah, like just. Yeah, just, I do. I'm, I'm just mind blown. Yeah. yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say I do think that on um, it gets me excited to see this match because I I'm, I know Osaka can play better than that. Um, 
and I know that she's looking like she wants to. So I'm I'm thinking that by the time that we hit back on the hard courts in uh, in North America after the after Wimbledon, I think we we can see pretty good matches between those two for the rest of the year. So mm. it's kind of good that uh, a lot of players are you know trying to step up again as well. Um, Sakari unfortunately didn't do much of a final um, in Indian Wells, but like I think it was, she was mentioning. A, a, a whole part of that tournament was just getting past the semi-finals, yeah. which was her biggest hurdle. So, yeah, I feel like the WTA could get really t- intense, uh, mm. could really catch fire by the end of the year. We could see a lot of great matches, though. Yeah, Sakura yeah. is in a bit of a weird spot because she's definitely good enough to be winning these finals. I mean, I don't think she's as good as Shiontek, so I think she was always an underdog in that Indian Wells final. But, like, and usually this is an oversimplification but i think for her it really is the case like i really think it is in her head like these she's as good as anyone on her day so when she loses these semis or finals consistently i really think that's just kind of being unfamiliar with the stage and maybe the right way to play like i i firmly believe that every tennis player needs to lose a big final or a big match before they figure out how to play them and i think she's kind of in that stage right now where the tennis is there but it's, she's still trying to figure out like, okay, how can I play my best in these big moments? Um, and I do think she'll come through that stage and she's going to be a contender in the late rounds at a bunch of tournaments. But I, I still do think that big tournament win is a little ways off for her. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because she also, yeah, she has to usually get past the hurdle of the semis and then the hurdle of the final. And there's there's a lot of, you know, like so many losses accumulated now that there's there's yeah. obviously some mental baggage that's, you know, that's hard to erase. And then, you know, but physically she's an absolute beast. And so, you know, definitely, I definitely feel like her time is coming and already it was a big step to get to the Indian Wells final. But like for um, for Naomi, I think it's good that she's embracing the clay now. Mm-hmm. And she feels like she wants to give it a really, a much better chance than, you know, she was able to do last year. And so she seemed really excited about going back and playing in Madrid and Rome and these tournaments because obviously I think we talked about it last year, but there's no really reason why if she doesn't get enough match play and, you know, doesn't get and just gets a lot more practice on it, she can't be good on clay too. I mean, she's made quarterfinals before of Madrid and Rome and I think semifinals of another tournament. And she's also made third rounds before at RG and it, and obviously to a certain extent her shots you know the way they're hit aren't super conducive to doing well on clay but then and then also she struggles a bit on the sliding but I definitely feel like she has she has that notch and and game to contend you know if she just gets a few more reps and matches in because you know definitely like this rivalry is something that made me miss Barty a little bit more in the sense that you knew that Barty you know, and Shriantek would meet, would be meeting a lot more because yeah. it'd be all throughout the year and you'd, you'd see them yeah. maybe in grass and clay. And with Naomi, it tends to be sort of US Open, pre-US Open and pre, uh, pre and post-Australian Open and then, you know, sort of a, a difficult patch for her. So mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, we'll see this rivalry again before the hard courts, but it would be, mm-hmm. you know, I think still asking a little bit a lot from Osaka this year, but you know, maybe in the years ahead, hopefully. Yeah. I, I did have a question for you guys. So um since we're kind of on the topic of Sakari, she beat Sviantek at Roland Garros last year. Although I think that was 
kind of partially due to uh, Fiontech having some accumulated fatigue from the clay season up to that point. She was playing doubles as well. Um, and like you just said, I think Osaka definitely will improve on the clay, but I don't know if it'll be enough to become a top contender this yeah. year. So with all that in mind, I mean, and also you have, you know, Sabalenka is not in form. Krajikova has been injured. Who has the best chance of beating Sviantec on clay? Because I think every, most players at the top are either a great matchup for her. I mean, everyone is because she's world number one or they're not at their best. So yeah. who's going to stop her? Is it just going to be a matter of her winning until she gets tired again? Or do you think someone's going to catch fire? Or do you think someone can beat her playing their regular game? Yeah, it's a great question. There's only three players who've beaten her so far this year. She's 26 and three. One of them was mm-hmm. Barty. The other was Danielle Collins, who was just playing lights out on her second serve. And yeah. obviously it was just, you know, kind of a, a bad match. And like you said, she wasn't in form that tournament. She she was winning mm-hmm. ugly against Kanepi and Cristea. And then obviously the player to do that last was like, like someone who can just step in and just demolish second serves right off the bat. And just don't let Iga get into any kind of rallies or rhythm. That would be sort of the player that, and then, you know, just the fatigue of all these matches finally catches up to her and maybe she's just five or 10% off. That's what it would probably sort of need to take, like, uh, like an Ostapenko level of, right. you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, triing, I guess. Yeah. Or is that, is that a term? <laughs> I think triing is usually on serve. Osaka needs her, her own term for, um, for doing that from the baseline. Battering ramming, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Or like, yeah. you know. Yeah, like like someone just getting really really hot for a match or two. Yeah, that's what it would it would sort I mean, of take. I wouldn't really put it past like the fact that it's a, still a best of three and seven matches. There's a little bit more room for error. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it could happen that somebody. Um, so it's it's always a little bit harder to predict, um, and especially after a hot streak. Like depends on how she does uh, on on clay. There's nothing saying that she will do terrible at all. Like. For all we know, she could she could win the first six Masters 1000 of the year, which would be absolutely a massive record right. of all ages. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like RG, it, it seems very open right now. It depends on like who can come back. I can see maybe Badosa being like a good. Yeah, contender. that was like, that was gonna be my next yeah. game. But she's yeah. definitely one of yeah. the players I really I'm looking forward to the most yeah. this clay season because she beat Bar- Barty last year in Charleston, yeah. and then she she got to the semis of Madrid. And then I think she was up a break in the quarters of the French Open, and then that's where Zidanecek beat her. Right, like 8-6 in the third, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, yeah. that was like a tournament of like many, many sliding doors, right? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. For soccer as well. Um, but <laughs> right. yeah, Andre, it's funny you should mention that because I was just thinking if this is one of those times where I think like if the woman also got to play best of five at the majors, Sviantek would be almost at an adult level a favorite for Roland Garros. Um but because it's best of three, like you said, there's more, there's less margin for error. Um, and it would be easier yeah. for her to lose, which is not her fault. Um, it's because of the the format yeah. they're playing. So, yeah. I wonder how she would do, you know, like I, I'd want to see her. It was good to see Carolina Mukova back playing again, because I, yeah. I know she made an Australian Open semi last year. And then like something about these women getting to the final rounds of the Australian Open and then sort of just getting injured or, you know, not really finding it the rest of the year. It's kind of been a pattern the last two years, I guess, with Mukova and Brady. Yeah, oh, Brady's had year, such bad luck. Yeah, uh, Collins had a lot of bad luck. Mukova also also retired from. I think she actually had to like give a walk over from her match in uh, Miami yeah. because no, of an soccer, injury. Yeah. yeah, she had just beaten Fernandez. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. no problem. <laughs> 
yeah. she played that was, amazing that, that was an amazing match though yeah. and like oh yeah and then someone like a like a cerebus turmo you know like how would she right. do against someone like that like with just a lot of variety oh, that, that's a match i want to see yeah because um, it, um, it, it was actually a yeah it was actually miami last year when um i became a fan of cerebus turmo because i saw her play andrescu um mm. who was making her comeback at that tournament um and i watched the match because i wanted to see andrescu come back and then they played a first the first point and it was like a 24 shot rally that Cerebus Tormo won with a passing shot. And I was like, yeah. oh, what, what is this? This is intriguing. Um, but yeah, that would I definitely want to see that matchup. I, wonder, I, I do yeah. think Sviantek would win. Yeah. But sorry, I'll give yeah. you two yeah. more names. Hans okay. Jabur. Okay. Hans okay, Jabur. Yeah. I want to see her and play Hans Jabur again. You're, you remember that Wimbledon match last year. Right. Jabur yeah. peaks as well as... That's exactly. what I was thinking. That's, I think grass is, is Jabur's to, you know, dominate right. if she gets to her best level. Like, I feel but like... Even the drop shot, though, on yeah. clay, like, yeah. you know, it's going to be deadly. And then, yeah, and then who was my other one? Camino Osorio Serrano. Yeah, oh. her. She, she, she played that really good uh, Monterey final against Fernandez yeah. recently. And it's crazy because she, she seems like something. she has the fitness of Cerebus Tormo, but like yeah. with an attacking game, which is, yeah. yeah, which could be pretty, pretty intense if she, you know, gets to her best level. Maybe she wouldn't be able to beat Fiontek yet, but like I feel like she could give her a run for her money in the first set, uh, set, set and a half. Yeah, M- matches like that are kind of fun when an underdog catches fire, but then they slowly yeah. regress to the mean and the top player starts to like, find their form and then it just becomes a war from like after a set down. That's yeah, fun. that's um, classic Nadal. Like what yeah, impresses or... me the most is the, le- the, the kind of different players that she's beating. Like it's not like she's playing yeah. one game and she's beating, you know, one style of player. Like she went from beating Golubic to then beating Goff. I mean, before that she beat Brengel, who's a very different kind of a player. And then she suddenly had to step it up against a power baseliner like Kovitova, who is kind of similar to Sabalenka in, in the sense like when they're at their peak, you know, they yeah. can hit the court. They can hit anyone off the court. Like I don't care who it is. They'll hit anyone off the court. <laughs> and she played very different in the Sabalenka match in Doha to how she did in the uh, Kovitova match here. Uh, in the Kvitova match here, she was playing a lot more defense and counterpunching. And in the Sabalenka one in Doha, she was going all out and just beating Sabalenka for pace, which is really hard to do. But she and destroyed then, them both, like barely yes. lost games. <laughs> That's yeah. the point. That's the yeah. point is she's able to, she's so adaptable. That's yeah. what I feel like. She's, and then last year, I think she wasn't even at her best and she still made fourth round or better at all the slams. And she's won junior Wimbledon before. Now, the one thing I worry about on grass is that, you know, hopefully she doesn't injure herself the way she slides around the court. And yeah, I mean, Djokovic yeah. is able to pull it off, but he has insane ankle strength. And yeah, I, I mean, that, that is something we don't talk about enough, how Djokovic revolutionized sliding on grass. Sliding. But that's that's yeah. another topic. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did want to much revolutionized guys. lighting everywhere, I, I mean, except yeah. for Rontek is also a skier. So it's something about <laughs> right. skiing and tennis. There's a there's a relationship there I yeah, think. for sure. Um, I, I did want to ask you guys and we talked about it a bit, but. And obviously we've got Roland Garros first, but on the women's side, like who's the favorite for Wimbledon? <laughs> because, you know, Sviantek is the number yeah. one, but she's not made it to the quarterfinals yet. Jabor beat her emphatically last year. You have Kerber, but she's kind of on and off at this point. Um, you have big servers like Pliskova and Sapolenka, but they're also inconsistent. Like who, if you had to pick a favorite right now, um, who would you say? Can't really say. I guess we should yeah. wait. To answer that yeah. question i know wait until that's the why that's why this is months. fun because you don't three know. months away yeah. you know yeah like, like let's assume everything is the same now as it'll be right before wimbledon uh I think, again, I, think a, I think a hot 
under like a hot dark horse i would say would be jabra for me like because i right. think that if she peaks you can use her slice really well and like really mm-hmm. make opponents struggle to like hit through the ball yeah. uh, on grass she's but i think that's that would a, pick for upsets yeah. she's a player would pick for upsets yeah. yeah but i don't know if she'd be able to string but, uh, it together enough yeah Se- seven in a row is too. tough um yeah i think if I would back on someone that's done it before like a kerber if you had a healthy Simona uh, Halep, she would maybe be the last active yeah, for Wimbledon Kvitova, champion. Maybe. Kvitova, Halep, and Kerber. Those are yeah. the three. Right yeah, there. they're they're good. And what about Pliskova if she hits the... She hits oh, yeah, the yeah. Pliskova she, she was close to the final yeah. last she year. She was very that, close. That yeah. semi with Sabalenka was was very good. Um, yeah, yeah. Sabalenka, another name. Who can... I, I, I would put Sviantek up there just by virtue of the yeah. tear she's on. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. Those are our five contenders for women. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do feel like Shriantek. The only thing for me, like about her, oh, of course, like uh, Vansh mentioned that she won junior uh, Wimbledon, but I would say like, I don't. I, I just feel like it depends on like how she finds her game back on grass, because like that would be the difference between like playing on slow um, yeah. hard courts to clay courts and then going to grass courts. So yeah. I'm not sure what strategy she's gonna go for. Like she's gonna play. Uh, um, warm-up tournament of she's going to go straight to Wimbledon like Djokovic does. but mm-hmm. Well, I mean, grass is just such a crapshoot because like it's such a small slice of the year and it's such a dramatic change from clay. So unless you're someone who yeah. has really mastered it like Djokovic, it almost feels like you have to get lucky and find your form right away. And yeah. once you do that, you can win. But if that doesn't happen, like you play one match and you're out and then yeah. another year goes by. Which you, is also just have less, yeah. you also have less time to do it if you're a woman because you only have three like best of three sets so exactly yeah for Djokovic you can still pull off like a two sets to love down comeback in the first round <laughs> right yeah he, he was actually down a set to Draper uh, yeah he was round. yeah um was actually asked about her junior Wimbledon and she said you know I actually didn't really know how to play on grass I was just much better than the rest of the field so right she was able to pull it off but she doesn't actually really like super comfortable yet on exactly it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but i feel like she could do that at this level now like she could yeah. win not out of grass expertise but just because her game is so far superior yeah, than everyone else's <laughs> right right but th- that's a great quote um I'll, I'll try to find that later yeah she, she's she's just great for the tour by the way like the way she's just she's so open about how she feels like mm-hmm. about her mental health and her mm. her struggles like you know I remember this tournament, you know, she was talking about crying or something and she's like, it should be normalized. And she has a, she has, she's really smart, smart and well-spoken. I feel like, cause she reads yeah. a lot. She was reading, she made, she made fun of great Gatsby, which I loved. <laughs> it's, it's not one of my favorite books. So like, I remember reading that in high school being like, eh, you know, <laughs> I love not, not one of my favorite. That was pretty good. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, and she seems like a nice person, um, like goofy, but also capable of giving serious answers. Um, she's smart. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, she's just a great person to have at the top. I, mean, of the I just realized she wasn't even number one. She wasn't even top four before no, Indian Wells. No, yeah, because I remember so, very clearly we were discussing at some point. I was like, oh, I think she's going to be able to like hang around in the top five, maybe top three, but I'm not sure about number one. And then now here we are. Here, here we are. <laughs> how fast things change. Yeah, yeah. how the turntables. She got to number two when she beat Sakari, and then she got to one when she went. And I when remember Barty, she, yeah. she said recently that she cried for 40 minutes after Ash, she found the news that Ash Barty retired. Really? So she had to go from doing that to then this kind of dismantling Golubich and then like I also feel like these off days at Indian Wells of Miami like kind of make it really hard because because these tournaments you know they even though they're all WTA 1000 like the rest of them 
I think the players have a lot more sponsorship obligations that they do here. Because mm-hmm. you know how, like, if you've ever seen, like, tennis channels, like, they do the back check. Yeah. Like, all of those are filmed at Indian Wells, like, at the lawns. I remember when I was there, like, the players were being pulled for practices to do some random interviews. I don't know if it was for Netflix or it was for some, it was for actually TC interviews or other things. But I feel like they don't really, like, even though they have an off day, I feel like a lot of it is, you know, like, it's good that it helps them to rest, but I also feel like mentally it's so draining because yeah. I think some players, they also do better if, like, it's just you have a match and then you have another match, you have another match because you can stick to your routines, right? You can just mm-hmm. sleep, eat, yeah. you know, warm up, stretch, and then go and play. But if you have a day off, you have, like, a whole day to think about that one match that's, like, really important. And if you don't get to, get to number one right now, then, you know, then who yeah. knows when you'll get the chance again. Like, I feel like yeah. it would be so mentally draining even with the days off to like do it because it's like, you have to win 12 matches to do this, like back to back sunshine double in three weeks or something like that. Yeah. And then I guess the last three, four rounds, you don't usually have a day off. It's like quarter sentence final. Yeah. Well, all to say it's like, it's really impressive. Like I can understand why only four players have actually done it in history. Yeah. This whole Which thing. by the way, uh, leads me to the question. Um, you guys saw that um, Courtney asked on Twitter. Uh, actually, didn't ask. She she stated on Twitter that the Sunshine Double is more difficult to win than the the most difficult thing to do in tennis. I think that's what she yeah. said. I think the Channel Double is harder. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my take as well. I think Channel Double harder for sure. Like, there's no question about it. Even yeah. with, I mean, you know, I would still argue it's probably harder in the '80s. It's because it was so different yeah. to play on yeah. clay and grass. Yeah. Like you had to you had to serve it while you're on grass right then you you couldn't do that on clay like i remember borg you know when he won those five wimbledon in a row and he did rg and wimbledon like i still feel like that's one of the most still not talked enough things in tennis history yeah like, he did yeah, it like three three years in a row i think he yeah, yeah like, 78 through 80 i think yeah that's, through 80. it's insane um yeah I, I mean i do think the sunshine double is really tough though because i mean mm-hmm. two-week tournament even if you're not playing more that wears on you um you have to travel across the country, um, yeah. different conditions, uh, like hard court. But and and also after you win the first one, I think the second one follows so quickly that everyone is gunning for you at that point. Like when when everyone went went to Miami, I think they all knew that Sviantec was the one to beat, um, but they still couldn't beat her, and that's, yeah. that's really <laughs> impressive on her part. Yeah, yeah. I think in a sense, just. Um... Also, the change in conditions, yeah. right? Like from yeah, yeah. from the, the windy hell wind. that is Indian Wells. <laughs> yeah. Um, did did I mean, you see? Uh, crazy. Did, did you see Tumaini's tweet? By the way, at the end of the tournament, he was like, "I don't know how anyone can call this tennis paradise when it's hard just to put a ball over the net in these conditions." <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I mean, it's not usually like that, but when it is, then it's like a windstorm and a sandstorm. Yeah. It's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes it even more impressive that Alcaraz was able to win a set against Rafa. Gosh, I was, was going to say the wind almost <laughs> robbed us of what should that just get a trophy was. for that alone, just yeah. being able yeah. to win a set against him. And I would have rage quit though. so hard in that match. I think I did it once. Like I almost rage quit a match, but then the guy looked at me. He was like, "I'm going to retire? Like for real?" And like I, I wasn't injured. I was just like, "I can't. This is ridiculous." And and I was like. You know what? Let's just finish this, and it's just like whatever. And then we finished it. I think he just like wanted it. the points for the. You know, if we win <laughs> more games, you get more points in the league. So that's what he wanted. Right. It's the most like driest. Like it's still great weather, but it's really dry, and like it's yeah. kind of hard to breathe for some of the players. And then you go into humidity, which is just you know, yeah, it's the total opposite. And it's like yeah. <laughs> raining and humid. I, and I absolutely hot. hate 
dry climates to play anything to do any sort of sports i think it's the absolute worst mm -hmm. i think i would have loved to play miami but that's just me well right. I, yeah. i mean miami can be tough as well though you remember the that humidity Djokovic yeah. nadal final in 2011 where nadal yeah. went to the hospital after um yeah because he was so like destroyed by it yeah and it's interesting because yeah. like I don't know. I don't know what's the climate in the in Majorca. I know it's like Mediterranean, but I I, I mean I grew up in a in a tropical place, so like right. for me, like I used to play like as a kid. I I would go. Well, that's like an anecdote here, so it's not not exactly anything to do with pro tennis. But um, I grew up and like I was to go like to to the court to like 2 p.m. and I would play until like 7 p.m. and it was like 30 degrees all day long, very very humid all the time. You, you could to, outlast Rafa, then. That's what you're saying. No, if I were a pro, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> He'd probably beat the crap out of me, like with just tennis. He wouldn't need to outlast me physically. No, I mean, it, it's cool that you got that practice, though. And like, I think yeah. that is ideal, right? Like, you want to become yeah. accustomed yeah. to the worst conditions. So then yeah. nothing is a surprise because I think some people go to Australia and they're just like, what the hell is this? Like, yeah. But if you, if you remember John Noman almost outlasting Federer, right? Because, yeah. And I mean, physically. he actually, um, He actually almost outlasted Djokovic as well in the next yeah. round because that that match was straight sets. But if you if you actually watch it, it was an absolute war. Um, I remember in the middle of it, Milman was sweating so much he had to go change his clothes, and he was like, "No, back. I'm sorry. Like, I, I have to take a break. Like, I can't play in this. And no, because like it's fine. I could use a break. I'm tired. Like, he was um, he was mm -hmm. actually getting worn out by it. Um, and he celebrated like he'd won the tournament after that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, get, getting off topic here. Um, yeah. But we had uh, we had another another young player um, win Miami on the men's side. It's Carlos Alcaraz. How how far can this guy go? Did you guys what, see that coming? Let's just start it? there. Did you guys see Alcaraz winning Miami? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought Medvedev was the favorite, but I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't so surprised once we got to a certain point in the tournament. But like going in, I thought this guy's gonna make semis something like that again, but like, I didn't think it was going to win the whole thing. I had him losing in the semis to Medvedev. So I had Medvedev as the first favorite. And then I thought, you know, if Medvedev doesn't win it, then, you know, Alcaraz is my pick. And after he beat Tsitsipas, I was like, okay, I think he's winning this tournament. Because, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just, just a little bit about Medvedev also is like, he was one match away from getting to number one. And, you know, this whole time we thought, okay, you know, since the Australian Open final, you know, It's it's that's a really hard loss to recover from, and then obviously they played in Acapulco, him and Rafa, and then he had the off match at Indian Wells, and those But conditions. just had a hernia. That's, that's... And and then we we later learned that he was going through, he was yeah. playing with hernia this whole time. I mean, it's just it's crazy to me because also he looked really good against Andy Murray, and he looked good against Jensen Brooksby, and you yeah. thought, okay, you know, against Hubert Hurkacz, like that's a tough match for him. But mm -hmm. and Hurkacz loves Miami, and he did so well to back up his. Uh, defense and get to the semis he played well But, against carlos too yeah so so you, you thought for sure you know you know he, he's probably gonna get back to number one but yeah. it didn't happen and yeah. alcaraz i mean i'm starting to you know like you know you know how everyone is so weary of the hype and you know we've seen a lot of players hyped yeah. up this way but with him I, you know you do really get the sense that this is this is different we're talking about a guy with You know, a combination of power and speed. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. And yeah, uh, a trademark ability who just has it all already at this age. Yeah. I mean, I'm just worried about, about like, you know, saying how many majors he's going to win because you just can't predict that kind of stuff. So no, I don't know if you go down that route. And I don't see the similarities. I don't see the similarities to Rafa and their game style, but I do think uh, it's okay to make comparisons in terms of what they achieved at that age because he yeah. is basically going at that track. It is, it's, it's kind of insane, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think, I think in terms of game style, the closest that I can think of is well, obviously Djokovic, but specifically 2011 Djokovic when he was just like firing from the forehand, like fearlessly almost, because I feel like Alcaraz, although he plays like Djokovic, his favorite shot by far is his forehand. And that is not Djokovic's case. (laughs) Like Djokovic's case, Djokovic likes his forehand, of course, like he runs around it, he hits like, but he tends to hit a little bit more like with um angles and try to like work it more mm-hmm. than Alcaraz would just like blast the crap out of it just if he has a chance to like really like put pace into that forehand he would just go for it like and that was a little bit of his downfall like last year because I feel like coming from the challenger tour he just felt like he could just like blast people away from the court and then the ball just came back and was like what <laughs> that was yeah. like <laughs> this so was he learned how to yeah he learned how to play over that and just actually be more He'd be smarter with his game yeah. and use this forehand to attack when yeah. the time is right yeah. and pick I, his targets better. Yeah, I, I think the biggest comparison for me, and like this is to young Nadal, is just how fast he is. Because like yeah. I feel like in both cases, like it's a kind of speed that completely transforms the way you have to play him. Like we have seen it a few times now. Like people come to net against him and they hit a good drop volley and they still get passed. Like it's they're having to reevaluate their shot selection because of how fast he is. And that is not normal. Um and it really does to me bring to mind like Nadal in those long pants like sprinting all over the place and like getting to everything and people are like what the hell is this? This is new. I need to do something different. Um and, right. Yeah, it's like a Monty You think he's the fastest speed. player right now on the tour? Like I generally Probably, think he's yes. I think yeah. so. Um, I mean especially and, like uh, yeah. And if he isn't, he's the best at sustaining it right now. Because yeah. I was going to say, you have someone like Monfils, who's also just blindingly fast, but he gets tired. Alcaraz doesn't yeah. get tired. I feel like Monfils, obviously, like Monfils is 34 now, so he gets tired right. like earlier. But like I think back in the day, like it would, I would definitely put like Alcaraz as fast as Monfils. And in, in terms of like being fast and like ridiculously defensive and maintaining, I think Medvedev is still pretty much from the baseline. Still probably if not the best defender like right now it's probably second like in terms of speed um but i think Alcaraz changes is just because he's so much faster like back yeah. and forth like to the net like the match point that he hit against um Kishmanovic, he was like miles away from that drop volley like it wasn't a drop volley it was a i think it was a half volley half volley yeah it was a pickup half volley like drop shot and he just ran that down and just 
inches away from the net just like hits this immense like awesome passing shot and there, was, there, we, there you go that was one of the moments that like you feel so lucky to be able to watch like um i remember because yeah. vonch and i were watching it and uh and we were talking on the phone and i remember as soon as katsmanovich hit that half volley and alcaraz started to run i was like oh my god does he get there does he get there because i knew how i was, fast he was. I was 100 then, sure he was good and then he got there i was like oh my god carlos alcaraz um which yeah. yeah it was just amazing um more than more than just whatever he goes on to achieve i just love watching him like yeah, i like yeah. this is a guy that i'm I'm gonna watch all of his matches you know mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna schedule myself so i can watch i just want to see him play everyone on the tour like yeah. that yeah this is the kind of game where the way he just reels you in and the the combinations that he has in terms of i mean we we, we can make the comparison to rafa in terms of speed but i mean he can even serve 130, 135 miles per hour. Yeah. And he can even yeah. like, he can, you know, just blast these, these forehands from anywhere on the court. And he can yeah. hit these backhands with just ferocious pace and just go down the line at will. Like he kind of reminds me of 2019 to 2020 peak Dominic team where yeah. under pressure, they both yeah. had this quality <laughs> where they would just, Go they even would bigger. just go into this beast mode where they would go even bigger. Even the more nervous that they got, the bigger they'd actually go. Whereas mm-hmm. most players would kind of tone it down and get a little bit conservative and try to wait for errors. These guys would just go after it. Like that catch one yeah. match, that was a top five level match. And it reminded me of like those team and Djokovic matches at the ATP finals. Good comparison. Where, yeah. You know, yeah. Djokovic was the one sort of rock solid, not missing from the back, back of the court. But team was the more dynamic player and the really, really big points yeah. in third set breaker. And that's what you kind of saw here with Ketchmanovich. Yeah. And if you just looked at kind of the stats and the way the match played out too, it was like Alcaraz hit many, many, many winners, but also many errors. And um, Ketchmanovich yeah. was very even and, you know, plus in both categories as well. So it was yeah. like, but fewer winners. Yeah. And yeah. To go back to the high conversation, I think the biggest thing about Alcaraz that makes a difference is that his path to the top has been pretty steady in the sense that like he didn't just come out and like won a grand slam right out of blue or he didn't win just like a masters 1000 just like oh well who's this guy and that's his first tournament which that's kind of like a little bit of a sign that like you could be hyping up someone um too much uh and then they fall a little bit afterwards and that's unfortunately the case that we saw with um raducanu so far not that i don't believe she's gonna play incredibly in the future she's only 8 19 but i'm pretty sure that she's going to do it but like once when you see somebody just win a big title out of the blue like this it's easier to just overhype it's like oh they're going to be winning like all the big titles from that one whereas from alcaraz you could see him coming and coming and coming like he was just unstoppable like inexorable like he was he's coming for the top a steady steady rocket ship exactly yeah pretty much yeah for me i think the most special thing about him and like I, I don't know if I've seen it phrased this way a lot. Is like he's the first guy in a long time that just makes me feel pure awe when I watch him play. Um, yeah. With everything he does, like I think with Medvedev, I get that from the way he defends. But with Alcaraz, you get it from everything because yeah. he defends and he also has the 105 mile an hour for him. He defends, but he also attack. Yes, <laughs> and, and the he last defends time aggressively. I, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and the last time I felt that way was um, when I was watching Hyun Chung play Djokovic at the Australian oh, Open. Yes. And he was making these gets, and I was like, what is this? Like, what yeah. what lab has he been cooked up in? This is amazing. Um, but I think I think Alcaraz is even better than that. Um, and it's so special. And I feel like the point is, at this point, it's just like, like you were saying, Vaughn, just like watch all of his matches. Like, it doesn't even matter what yeah. he ends up doing because he makes you feel this way when you watch yeah. him. 
Um, and that's just such a rare thing. Yeah, and, and I do he's, think he's that so uh, humble, but he also has the confidence. Yeah. it's like the, it's like humble arrogance. I love that. You know, Th- that nod exactly. that he does is the most badass thing on tour, right? Oh, now. he when just he goes like this. He just looks yeah. at his box. And, and yeah, his relationship nods. with Ferrero is just mood. Like, I mean, those yeah. two guys are just—they're made for each other. Like, you know, you, <laughs> see, you, you, you guys see that video that he put on his Instagram when that was really know, nice. Ferrero was, you know, you know, mourning the loss of his father, and so he he had gone away, and then he was just coming back just to watch the final and support Alcaraz yeah. in it, even though it was a really difficult time for him in his life. And then you just saw Alcaraz just jumping up like a little kid and enjoy yeah. it, just going after him and hugging him. And it was, it was this great moment. And they, you you're right. Like they shared these nods after every single point. It's like silent fist pumping and he's always fist pumping. Like, you know, just before yeah. the is about to start, it's like, yes, yes, I got this. I'm, you know, it's like double reassurance. It's, it's so intimidating for the opponent probably, but <laughs> it's extremely. Yeah. He- he did. I remember very clearly. He did that. Like, I think probably on the last point he won against Berrettini in the tiebreak in the Australian Open. He just looked at his box yeah. and just kind of goes like with the nod. Yeah, and I yeah, um, and which was like, oh my gosh, Alcaraz is totally winning this. I, and then all of a I, sudden, I couldn't like, get that out of my head. Yeah, because Berrettini he... was just like, say what? N- right. No, no, like, no way! I'm letting this kid spoil my party. Like, <laughs> yeah, because because he got a mini break on the first point of the tiebreak, and yeah. he nodded, and then he kind of like tapped his head with his racket a bit, and I was like. And he was so outrageously confident that when he lost, I was yeah. like, in my head, I was like, what just happened? Because it didn't, it didn't compute because I was like, I was so positive that he was going to win. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, but, I mean, yeah. it's, I think what I, what I want to say in terms of still a little bit on the hype is that like, I feel like as, as I totally agree with you on they say like, um, to, t- to try and predict how many slams is going to win it, it's definitely the overhyping of anything he hasn't won a single one yet he's yet to make a semi-final um yeah. but and we don't know what's going to happen in the next yeah 20 years. i'm pretty yeah. sure that he's going to win more masters 1000s he's definitely going to break into the top five top three at some point who knows maybe going to be number one mm-hmm. i think that he's going to win something i'm not sure he's going to win something in the next um 12 months like for the next um four grand slams there to come i'm not sure he's gonna win one of those he thinks he can so <laughs> that's a good sign but um i don't know and yeah i i, I also want to say you know yeah, hyping yeah. up uh, hyping up a player doesn't mean that you know they're not going to have any downs along the way like he's yeah gonna for sure many, he's gonna have suffer many losses he's gonna choke he's gonna blow leads he's gonna he's gonna have the pressure get to him at some point he's gonna he's gonna feel it at some point and he's gonna he, but he's gonna you know bounce back like it's just the career arc of every player is just like that you know yeah it's just yeah. His, it's just that we're all we're in the i guess it's too it's too late to say it's the honeymoon phase i think it's it's we're past that now yeah right? it's, it's just all, all love now um i mean in terms of the hype i, I do want to say though like so th- this is why predicting major count is dumb because like we don't know what's going to happen in terms of best of five endurance injuries yeah. motivation i mean one team won his first major i think everyone thought there was going to be more um and there were injuries but before that his motivation changed and that may happen to alcaraz but i think if you're honest with yourself like is he going to win a major absolutely of course like who's if you're like if you're being objective who is going to stop him from achieving huge things like if you look at his losses it's at least one yeah Yeah. it's it's a close loss to berrettini at the australian open where he probably should have won because he was nowhere near his best for the first set and a half. And it's just great that he got it to five sets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have like, I think I said at the time, if they played again the next week, he would have won. And I like, they've played a couple of times since, and he's, he's won. Um, yeah. 
And then you have that loss to Nadal, which who's against a goat that he still almost won. So it's like who who was going to beat him? And he's not even at his peak yet. Like he's gonna it, win. It took it took Rafa like some brilliant sort you know volleying in the last three games of that match after losing a set in the wind and then cracking his rib. Basically, you know, having a stretch yeah. factor in his yeah. rib. Yeah, that's exactly. what it took to get past that match. So. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I think I think you can say he's overhyped if you want, but like honestly, like when you say that, think about think about what's going to stop this rise because it's going to take yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. It's, and as I, I think I tweeted it out. Like, Akaraz may not become one of the greatest of all time, but he's definitely going to be one of the greatest of his generation, like for sure. Yeah. Like, for the players that he's going to play with, play against, like in the future, in the next 10, 10 years or so. He's definitely going to be up there as one of the best, hundred yeah. percent. This is this is the last thing I'll I'll say about him. But like, I think I think there's no better way to kind of understand that than just like watch what happens in his matches when he starts playing his best. He will yeah. barely lose a game. Like you remember what happened against Tsitsipas? He was down five yeah. two. He turned it on. Tsitsipas played amazing to get to five two and yeah. Like, um, and I didn't think Tsitsipas even started playing that much worse. It was just that Alcaraz yeah. took the racket out of his hands. And then he gets yeah. rude in the final, down 5-4, turns it on. Before you know it, he's up 7-5-3-0, two breaks in the second set. Like, these are these are top 10 players that he is making look ordinary. Um, yeah. Like, he's right. he's got a better skill set than most of them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just want him to play Nadal and Djokovic yeah. because I think that's the best way to see how he'll stack up. Yeah, I think yeah. that comparing big tournament for Root, right? Yeah. To Sorry? beat oh, Zverev. Sure. Oh yeah, hundred. Big tournament for Root to beat Zverev in in the quarters and then get to the final mm-hmm. and you know now you know you can put the whole clay court hardcore thing to to bed. You know he's good on yeah. First Masters one thousand final came on uh, a surface that he sucks on, uh, according yeah. to yeah. some people. So. Yeah, <laughs> but it some did also people. expose some of the things in his game that he has to do to get better. Yeah, um, the Alcaraz match, obviously the return of serve, I think is still one area where he can get. You know he can definitely make some gains, especially yeah, because yeah. because he he goes so far back and returns deep on the second serve and Alcaraz's go to was you know is the serve and volley on the on the ad side to his to Rude's backhand and then yeah Rude got killed it, with that tipping it yeah. low and he got killed with that I mean just look at the match point right yeah whereas I feel like you know a better returner like uh, you know Medvedev who takes that deep return position also would make Alcaraz have a really tough volley you know from that yeah. position when he serves and volleys or even you know team. For example, even with a one-hander, yeah. I do so, think that was one, that's one thing that separates players. Like even going back to Shriantek to in uh, Alcaraz, who that's a separates like players who are most likely going to be contenders for like the biggest titles and are going to jump into the rankings like top three at least um, from the players who are going to be consistent top tens, like low top tens, like five to ten, I and mean, even like. Seven to ten, even like uh, like root is right now. Um, I think it's just really the fact that you can one hundred percent see that they are on an on a different you know speed when they play tennis. Like when they play the game, like they take the ball early, they can generate pace from anywhere on the court. And you could see that root was struggling with how early Akras was taking the ball at times, um, how aggressive he could be. And sometimes Rudo was trying to be aggressive and you could see that like for him, he was- and he has one of the best forehands, yeah. by the way. And it took him a little bit longer just to like get to the ball and just like aim and just like prepare. And those those things are, are things that like are not necessarily lacking in yeah, those top point. players. They can they can yeah. definitely be a lot just better off the, off the ground. Just take the ball early and just make it happen a lot better than those guys and, and they yeah, feel like they have to do things 
they have to you know tree at a higher level because I mean obviously like Rudy I mean he came out firing he was up three love four one yeah. and he was hitting hitting forehands and just you, you felt like this was this is unsustainable you know even yeah. for him you know this is he's not going to be able to sustain this for for a really high level and eventually Alcaraz is going to get his teeth into this and he's gonna he's gonna find your weakness and exploit it and that's what the best yeah. players do they go on these they go on these surges mm-hmm. where. They don't lose games. <laughs> yeah, and that's what he, that's what he did in that final, basically. That's what Jantek of... has been doing in all the big finals that she's. Played. Yeah, yeah, and and I think um I think we're starting to see like a common trend with the best players on tour. I think is that they're really elite returners of serve. Like I think yeah. like Jantek, fantastic returner. Alcaraz, fantastic returner. Obviously, of Nadal and Djokovic, and I mean the weapon that gives you is like you can be down four one. And all it takes is one return game and you're right back in it. Like, I think how many times did we see Alcaraz go down 4-1 and then he'd hold for 4-2, like he'd break and then he would just go on a tear from there. Like you can, we've seen Spiontech do that. Um, And that's just such a nice thing to have on your side, the ability to break serve almost at will. Um, Because when you can't do that, even when you're winning sets, you're winning tie breaks. Like I remember, um, you know, Tsitsipas, I think, yeah, with the elbow surgery, he's maybe not back to his best yet, but he had this match against Jack Sock that he won, and he really clutched it out. But he had to play two tie breaks, I think, and that's just not something you want to have to do. You want to be winning that three and four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Alcaraz, one of his best shots is a drop shot, but in the final, he only won three points with his drop shot, and he missed most of the, most. That was one of the worst drop shot days I've ever seen him have because obviously, you know, he's... He's he has such good disguise on that shot to where most of the times you can't you can't even read it because you're taking a deep return position and you have to like this, I don't know what you can do against it mm-hmm. because you have to you have to be ready for it going past you as a winner and you have to be ready that he might disguise it and and shield it so well that he's gonna be he's gonna he has the drop shot lob combo he can mm-hmm. do the tweener he's got yeah also yeah, correct me if I'm wrong but Alcaraz has is this. Alcaraz has this thing with his serve that he just kind of like he changes where he's serving from the baseline. He he uh, from a couple yeah, serves yeah, he yeah. just like yeah, went all the, the way to the sometimes yeah and he just and you know exactly what he's gonna do like there, there's no chance he's not gonna pull out like this massive kick like for an yeah. angle. But, That's probably his best serve yeah. by the way. I don't think yeah. he he hits the spots yeah. very well. I think compared to the rest of the tour, yeah, that's probably his only. Weakness, weakness in quotes. area of improvement yeah area yeah. of improvement right like but it's, but just, it's like he's hitting his spots yeah but i i almost feel wrong calling it a weakness because it's a sort of thing where like if he solves it no one will be able to beat him like he's going to be more unstoppable than he already is and so it's like can you call that a weakness or just like mm-hmm. the last thing separating an area that can get domination yeah. Yeah. yeah um but yeah i think on, on the drop shots, it, it was so interesting and it spoke to how versatile his game is because like, like you said, Vaj, it was a crappy day with the drop shots, like, yeah. which is something people are hyping up as a huge weapon of his and he still won in straight sets. <laughs> like he, he had to adjust and it was fine. Like he was, he was totally fine. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. He wasn't even at his best for a lot of the Kecmanovic match, Perkach match, mm-hmm. Rude match. I mean, he beat three top 10 players and he wasn't yeah. even, uh, like, you know, apart from that surge that he had against Tsitsipas for like eight games, yeah, I don't think we saw his best level. I don't think yeah. so either. And so this is very sustainable to me, you know, if mm-hmm. he can keep this up. And now he's eighth and he's going to be seated eighth at Monte Carlo. Good yeah. luck to whoever gets him in his quarter. 
because he could, be, he could be top five by Roland Garros. Is that crazy? <laughs> like, no, no it's not. I, I predicted him to be six by the end of the year, and that was yeah, like, and now that's looking like an underestimation yeah. of him. It, it kind yeah. of feels like I was I was thinking about it this like this past week. I was like, what if he actually gets to be top four by Roland Garros? And oh, he gets man. like one of the big ones, like in the semifinal, like an epic one. Like I feel like if if that actually happens, I think his chances get boosted of winning this lamb because he's gonna have like an easier path, if you will. Yeah. So so imagine this last four: Nadal, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Alcaraz. How amazing yeah. would that be? Those are, Which those are your okay? So if that if that happens, what are your matches of preference? I think. I just really, I really want to see an Alcaraz Djokovic right now. I think we've seen yeah, Tsitsipas and Alcaraz twice, and it was good. But I, I want to see, I want to see him take on Djokovic because yeah, I, I would say Nadal Tsitsipas, Alcaraz Djokovic, and then Nadal Djokovic in the final because that is still the best matchup on tour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But if we get like a Tsitsipas uh, Alcaraz final, I think Alcaraz would beat him. Like, yeah, honestly, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, the best of five component makes does make this very interesting though. For sure, yeah. Still, oh, man. I, I, I mean, I, let's I see if he can actually go physically seven matches in a row. I think now he's a different player than he was at the U.S. Open, but obviously yeah. that got to him a little bit. Absolutely, um, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's the next thing for him. He has to demonstrate that he can hold up for. And and also, time. I do kind of wonder what is his best surface because, you know, obviously now he's won, he's proven on hard court, but if he actually goes on clay, you know, I don't think the weight of shot is going to be an issue because he he has the weight of shot, but. I feel like there's there's a lot more players that are pretty yeah. comfortable on that surface as well. Even like your first round, I mean, if you draw someone like a like a Jaime Munar or someone, or you know, a, a Pedro Kachin. I mean, I'm just throwing out yeah. names. But well, I, I mean, they're, Munar they're should have beaten him in Rio, honestly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So it's so so it's kind of tough. Um, like he's gonna have to grind it, grind it out, and he'll lose sets. And he's gonna get yeah. broken all the time. Like that's yeah. why I think Djokovic will beat him the first time they play, just because Alcaraz won't be able to hold serve with any kind of consistency. Um, or break serve with that with any kind of consistency, I would say, because Djokovic has developed into a pretty big server, like as in in terms of he has yeah. taking care of his serve with more yeah. ease than most. But like in a Djokovic matchup, I can see it happening where like Alcaraz is breaking more e- easily than he's holding, and that's mm-hmm. just not a good place to be. But again, like once that improves, yeah. he's going to be even better. Um, in terms of um, in terms of other stuff going on. Patrick Moritoglu yeah. had an interesting tweet recently. Um, I think, yeah, you know, you know what I find the most interesting part of that tweet? He's the one who tweeted the partnership, not Halep. So it's like, I will be coaching. So just Halep to be clear, he's, it's like, he's it's leaving like, coaching Serena yeah. for, for a bit. I think he said, yeah. he said like some time has opened up for a bit or something like yeah. he implied that they would be working together again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of interesting because he hires Serena in 2012. And, Didn't Serena hire him? I mean, I mean, wait, sorry, what, what am I saying? He hired Serena. No, Serena hired him. Yeah. <laughs> Serena hired him and and they had this long partnership and it's been going on for a long time, but he's opened up an academy, the Patrick Mortoglu Academy. Obviously, he has a lot of business event, ventures and interests with many, many players on tour, some of which we probably don't even know. But okay, he's, yeah. got, he's got a lot of really top players at his academy. He's organized these exhibition events which we've spoken about before in our opinion on those, but, uh, and the consensus is, you know, they're, he's trying to change the game in some, some aspects because he believes, you know, shorter format is better. And the average age of tennis is 61, which is not, you know, 
put in any fact what's whatsoever like it's just not it's just not true you know you say i feel like he says a lot of things that are controversial and you know they're going to generate a lot of buzz but at the same but I, i'm not sure what to make about him because obviously i mean he's he's a good enough coach to where you know these players are hiring him and so he clearly has some kind of tactical knowledge but he's never played before he's yeah. not like i mean as a professional he hasn't played i'm sure he's played at a high level but not at a professional level and so he's obviously got a good business team and marketing you know campaign and probably is very rich already so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so, so, sure. so I, other, I, had a, I had a question i had a question for you guys like is is he a good coach because i think there's evidence to suggest that he might not be i mean he serena has won a lot with him but serena is amazing like i would put that down to serena <laughs> before i put that down to him um he's worked with other players like Pass for a while but and Pass has gotten better but not that much better in the last couple of years um he's worked with coco goff mm-hmm. who also who has been improving again but maybe not not at the level that not at the level that you might expect after you saw her breakthrough like is he is his reputation just built up on the fact that he's worked with mm-hmm. these players and not necessarily what he's done for them like i, I think he doesn't he's not mm-hmm. really a coach in the sense like you know you have you have your full-time coaches on the tour like who travel week to week to yeah. week and who are like always in their player box and who are scouting the next match and who are like you know I don't know, like who's a really famous coach, like Sven Grenfell or somebody, you know, who's just always like just a week in, week out coach. Whereas this guy's, I, I kind of see him more as like a consultant. Like kind a military type almost. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like someone, someone who, who has, who will impart his expertise, like through a, a call, like once a week or video, or like, you know, will just point out his observations, but he's not really working with the player day in and day out. Yeah. It's more it's not like, like really just, dedicating time to actually yeah. know the player. Where does yeah, he, need, like, does she, yeah, he or she I, need to get better? I, I feel like I should take this opportunity to notify you guys. If you buy his NFT collection, you can be on a call with him once every two months, which is which is a great deal there, folks. I'm I'm completely kidding. Great yeah, to know, El Pass. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think Vaughn... Well, that doesn't sound he, like a bad idea if you want to know more about him. Oh, God. No, no thanks. No, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> I was going to say, Vaughn, I think you said he says a lot of controversial things. The word I would use is annoying. Like, I think he... Yeah. I think yeah. he tries to stir up controversy. Like, if you saw... He said, like... He had this dumb, dumb tweet where he was like, even on clay, when Djokovic is at his best, he's the best player in the world, even better than Nadal. It's like, yeah. dude, like, even if, he, so if you look at that only from a head to head perspective, that's still not true. But I'm like, it's 13 to two at Roland Garros in terms of titles. Like, yeah. You're, that's an idiotic yeah, no. thing to say. I like, think no one would end my morning that. Like, replying to Djokovic fans about, you know, I think that because they're yeah. like, you know, since 2011, it's, you know, here's what I have to say yeah, about, but it's about like, um, look at the title. Like, right, sorry, Andre, go ahead. Yeah. No, go on. I, what I have to say about Muratoglu is this. I think that he is phenomenal about like getting publicity done for him. Like he, he does say those things and it gets to him and that helps his business because his academy has his name. Right. Um, and yeah, two, that's... I think that in terms of in, in inaccuracy of his statements, I think it's kind of like um, he he leaves it like in a gray area that is gray enough that like it could be true, but it but it also isn't exactly like for example the sixty five year old tennis fan. It isn't right. true, but it also kind of is because we can look at some statistics that will say that. Right. It was but, like a it was like a niche yeah. study that said that exactly generalized it to right, all right. of tennis. Yeah. And he, and he the, really the Djokovic being better than Nadal, I think that the difference is that like maybe 
you could say that today, this year, Djokovic is better than Nadal on clay. But then again, like who the who who knows, right? Like I mean, it's 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 the type of stuff that you leave it vague enough. Like he never explained why he thinks that it's like that is Djokovic is better. And in a sense, like if he doesn't say like if he goes up and say like, look, I always thought Djokovic was much better than Nadal in every single surface, including clay. I just think that Nadal may may have gotten lucky. Djokovic was like a little nervous in those matches and that's why he couldn't he couldn't beat him um then you would say like this guy's just flat out wrong <laughs> but like when he says this stuff that he says like i don't think he says anything that he's going to be like that doesn't get through a pr um yeah. before you know what i mean yeah so, like, i agree it's yeah, like he's never yeah. specific enough for people to like really facts check him i yeah. mean like I, I mean another example that pops to mind is like after the 2018 us open he had yeah, he said all coaching Serena like, and um, yeah. and they asked him about that and he was like yeah I was coaching but like everyone coaches like the rule needs to change and then I think he yeah. said racket smashing should change as well and I'm like well that was on you like and he brought you, up Tony you, Nadal again he was like you know yeah. Tony yeah. coaches every point yeah I'm mm-hmm. like every everyone knows this like the fact that you're bringing it up because you got caught for it and your player suffered because of it like seems in very bad faith um but then he didn't really bring it up that much more often. Like, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. that was another thing that just seemed slightly off. Um, yeah. I, I think the best way to describe him is just slightly off, like <laughs> in, in all ways. Like, there's just something that doesn't seem quite right there. <laughs> and I can't put and, my finger on what it yeah. is. He did that. He did a YouTube video about the, the you know, the Zverev incident where he hit the umpire. Oh, that. Yeah. yeah. The what what the hell he, was that? They were I didn't like, watch he, that he, one. he was defending him. So I was yeah, just he was like, he's like, yeah, you know, I think. I think he, you know, he gets the hate and like, now we should all move on or something. I'm like, well, yeah. no, the issue here is umpire safety, not people criticizing yeah. Zverev, who yeah. was absolutely- Which, by the way, is a big problem now on the tour, because obviously, I mean, you, you had another curious meltdown and, you know, it's, oh. these things just keep on happening. So, yeah. and, and keep happening more often as well. Like Thompson whacked a ball and a ball kid like flinched from it. Um, and this like, is where the, the, the ATP really was... messed up after the Zverev thing by not giving him the- yeah. Yeah. No suspension because now you feel like president. you can get away with anything. I mean, Pete yeah, Bodo it, wrote something today where he was like, Brooksby got fined fifteen thousand dollars, but he made ninety five thousand dollars from his run. Like you, yeah. the way this works needs to change. Like you should not yeah. be able to profit when you're getting fined in that way. Like they should just take away your prize money from the yeah. tournament or something or something bigger. But yeah. yeah, like it's it's not right. Now coming back to Muratoglu being as a coach, like uh, Halep did hire him as as his coach so i don't think that halep would have done something that she doesn't believe it's going to help her game so i think that what we are going to find out very soon whether muratoglu is a good coach or not because it's going to show in the results that halep has in the future yeah. um i feel like in a sense like it depends a lot on how halep um how Halep's body holds up and she's obviously like in possibly the twilight of her career even though i don't like to say this but um so tricky though. I don't know how much yeah. results are, you know, if it's the coach or if it's the well. But then you can see this. Too, yeah. And how yeah. The, well, I, I think it's always more the player than the coach. But I, I will say this. I think Halep has worked with Darren yeah. Cahill in the past. I think this is going to be a step down from that in terms of the coaching expertise she is receiving. Um, I think she may. And look, I'm I'm going to be biased against Moritoglu. I don't like the guy. I think I think UTS was dumb. I think some of the stuff he says is dumb. So I'm going to be reluctant to give him credit. I'm just going to say that. So like, if Halep starts playing well, I'm going to attribute that to Halep rather than him. 
Um, maybe he'll do good things. I don't know, but I'm like the guy is. Well, that's that's the, the guy is on the craft list for me. I'm sorry. That's totally fair. I mean, yeah. I mean, at this point, I remember ten years ago when stream. I mean, she went on to win ten majors in the next five years. I don't think that's going to happen with her. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, but but that's because her game is not as yeah exactly. Insanely good it's, not it's, gonna... it's not because of, yeah yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, Twilight of a career, we have uh, Joe Tsonga announcing his oh, retirement awesome. yeah. at Roland Garros, which is going to be a, a moment, I, I think, because I yeah. grew up watching him. Like I, I uh, saw a bunch of his matches in uh, in Canada, not on stadium, but just like on TV. But still, um, I watched a few of his Grand Slam matches against Federer and Nadal and Djokovic. The the ones against Federer are sp- especially good, in my opinion, because Wimbledon somehow Federer just something. hated to play him for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, um, they, they went through a spell like 2009 to 2011. I think 2011, he, he had a really good rivalry with Federer. They played eight yeah. times. And yeah. Songo won two of them. Final, final. Was, uh, yeah. Songo won two, which was the Wimbledon match and the Canada match. He played yeah. really well in Canada. So, you, you know, yeah. that's good that you got to see him at his best yeah. Masters yeah. event. Because the, the yeah. Wimbledon comeback was unreal. Because it I remember watching the whole thing and just thinking, I mean, Songa peaked in the last three sets and he just broke yeah. serve once every single time and Federer had no answer. And he was playing yeah. brilliantly up until that point. Mm-hmm. Is that the only time that Federer has been like really overpowered at Wimbledon just from a firepower perspective? I yeah. mean, like Nadal and Djokovic have beaten him, but in very different ways. I feel like this was... Yeah. He was this just time the record was just taken the record was just taken out of his hands I mean, yes. the last three sets there was yeah the the only other moment that i i found that this one was Federer actually came back from two sets down but it was against british in australia british was like literally like taking the rackets out of Federer's hand and just Federer just kind of had to wrestle his way back into that match and won this way it was the other way around like was Songa just kind of like okay it's like i'm not gonna allow you to play anymore <laughs> Yeah. So many memorable matches against the big yeah. four. And he's come yeah. back from, you know, losing sets, six love, six one, and beating them in the same match, which is like unheard of. You know, a lot of players yeah. would just crumble in that moment. And especially the early matches that he had against Djokovic, at one point he led their head to head five two. And, yeah. you know, he beat, he beat Djokovic four times in a row. I mean, in 2008, that was still pretty hard to do. Has anyone else ever done that? It was, I think I Andy Roddick did from 2009 and 2010. Yeah. When okay. Djokovic was struggling a bit and Roddick was still top ten, yeah. but you know, I mean, Djokovic managed to turn those head-to-heads around and all that. But still, like he, some of those matches, I think the French Open match that they played each other in the quarterfinals was oh. epic. I mean, you know, I mean, Sangha ended up losing, but that was due to Djokovic's clutchness, and he had four match points. Four and, match points, and yeah. was, I, I think but honestly, the match, yeah. Sorry. I was, was going to say, I think the most impressive part of that was that he made the tiebreak close after all those match yeah. points. Like he didn't, he did fade, but not until the fifth set. Like he right, was, he yeah. was always in it. It took a while. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but the match he played against Rafa, I mean, at the Australian open, I mean, that was his, that was the tournament he'll always be known for because he beat Andy Murray there. He beat, he got to the final and it was the only major final he got to. He took a set off of Djokovic in the final, but the semis to beat Rafa like that in under two hours, a 2008 yeah. Rafa. And just blew him off the court. Like, I mean, that was... Rafa's had two brutal losses at the Australian Open like that, where the racket has just been taken out of his hand. One yeah. was the 2019 Australian Open final against Djokovic, and the other was this. Oh, this was even Gonzalez more one-sided. Well. Right. But this but, was yeah. the most one-sided of any of his losses. And, I mean, I think he, he didn't even break serve. And it was, like, under two hours. And it was just... He was playing like a unicorn. 
that day. It's like this, it was like start to finish, like everything he touched turned to gold. Yeah, it was one of those matches. Do you guys yeah. think? I, I feel like for Tonga, what's going to happen is a bit like uh, when Andy Roddick retired at the U.S. Open. He's going to play very well because like he has no next tournament to, to worry about, so he's just going to give his entire body <laughs> into every yeah. shot. I'd, um, and I think he, he might make like a third round. I think that's what's going to happen is he's going to get a really nice unassuming Hubert Hurkacz in the first round. Oh wow, <laughs> that's probably true gonna, too. Yeah. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna do his thing and beat him and. You know? yeah. It's gonna be really sad. I, I don't know. I yeah, think this is gonna be this is gonna be closer to a Del Potro retirement than a Rodic yeah. one. I think because mm-hmm. just because I feel like he hasn't been healthy yeah. enough to play for so long, it's hard for me to imagine that the level will be there. But he'll yeah, get a true. nice crowd ovation. Yeah. Can bet on that. Yeah. Hopefully they schedule it at a good time and there's a you know it's like they give mm-hmm. it they give it the priority that it deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely I, definitely playing Ice Shot Tree. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'd be cool if he, honestly, if he got Djokovic in the first round, they'd put it on Chatria. Like, that's that's a good way to go out, if you ask me. Mm, yeah, mm. being a legend. Well, in a sense, it's just like, for me, it's, at least he's going to go out to like a guy that he was definitely not going to beat. So what are you guys' final thoughts, I guess, on Tonga, since um, we've covered so much today already? Um, I think he'll be missed. If he were playing in a less brutal era, he would have been missed more. And... That's just kind of the nature of things. Yeah. Yeah. Great career. Great, great uh, personality. Super dynamic, explosive to watch. Loved watching him. Gave me a lot of memorable matches. Like Owen said, played in a really strong era, but still achieved quite a bit. And I loved his celebration on court. So those are just some of my long lasting yeah. memories with Joe Wilford Sanga and wish him the best after yeah. his career. Yeah. Same here. I think tennis fans will remember him, and that's probably more than a lot of people could have wished for um so yeah and um we i think we're fortunate enough that he's played in despite being playing in an era that has had so many great players he's also played in an era of where matches were recorded more often so we can watch a lot of those on online so um we're going to be able to see his peak level beating federer djokovic nadal for a long time so yeah All right, so thanks for listening and uh, thanks for being here, guys. I'm kind of lost practice for whatever reason. I don't know what else to... What do I do at the end? <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Yeah, thanks well, for listening. Just follow, follow us. Yeah. Follow, follow us. us links in the descriptions uh, of the podcast and of the episode. So we'll see you guys next time for the clay season, finally. Yes. And let us know if there's anything else you'd like us to talk about on Twitter. Yeah. Cool. All right. See you next time. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 